0: Hi everyone, I'm Roshan Karyapa, and welcome to another episode of The Startup Operator. I'll be speaking to Amanda Maroshka, uh, who heads strategic partnerships at Buffer, which uh, helps you manage social media engagement. Uh, and it's a unique company in many different respects. Uh, we'll try to understand a little more about Amanda and about Buffer in this conversation. Uh, hey, Amanda, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for
1: having me, Roshan. I'm very- excited to be your first international guest on your podcast today
0: yeah that's fantastic uh maybe we could start with a little bit of context uh, for our listeners uh, uh you were actually a marketing person before and then you transitioned to partnerships uh so how did that happen
1: yeah so my path into the startup world was definitely a nonlinear approach, which I think resonates with a lot of other folks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so originally, When I went to university, I studied political science and communications like many other folks. Uh, I really wanted to be a lifelong uh, bureaucrat. I really wanted to get into politics. Um, But during my time there, uh, I found out that I was a little bit more technical than I initially thought. I started playing around with tools like Photoshop and started learning basic HTML. A lot of politicians were starting to approach me to do some of their marketing assets and websites. Mm -hmm. And from there, I really developed an interest in the technical side of the industry, but also just my skill set. So I decided to go back to school and study computer science, uh, particularly web development and application development um, to to sort of build out some of my hard skills as well, alongside my soft skills that I already had. and that gave me a lot of autonomy as well. I definitely highly recommend, um, you know, having a bit of a T-shape. A lot of people in marketing or a lot of people in the startup industry talk about being a T-shaped profile, having a, a wide breadth of skills and then being able to go deep into one. And that really helped me with that. And also when I first moved to the Netherlands, originally I'm from Canada, um, I was really living paycheck to paycheck. So having that uh, you know, extra uh, skill set allowed me to develop my first side hustle and to start developing websites. Um, and so from there, I started taking a lot of marketing related jobs that had a technical component to it. So, you know, I think a lot of people think of marketing and, uh, you know, they really just think it's a content, you know, type of field where it's actually can be a lot more all encompassing. And especially when you work for maybe a smaller company, I was working for not for profits back then. Marketing basically meant you were doing uh, events, (laughs) graphic design, web development, like all of all of the above, so from there, I kind of built out you know my skill set a lot more as well, um, and you know in Amsterdam, I was really looking to connect with other women who were developers as well. so I started a community alongside four other uh, females in tech, and we started to plan events for women in the tech industry um, and From that experience. I actually was approached to work uh, Google for Entrepreneurs, which is now known as Google for Startups, uh, was opening their first campus in Amsterdam alongside The Next Web, which is a big uh, news publisher and a huge event series that happens in, uh, in Europe. Um, so that was an opportunity that at least put a toe in the water into not only doing you know, events and marketing and that sort of things, but, but really building out a community and through a lot of that is through partnerships. Um, And and from there, I had started to build out relationships with our developer community and our tech community. And when Shopify was looking to uh, hire someone to manage Europe, Middle East and Africa, Um, It seemed like a natural progression for me to move more over to the business development side of things through strategic partnerships. Um, As much as I love marketing and events and all of the tactical things as well. um, Really, you can see with partnerships, uh, how quickly, you know, if you're really looking to 10x your growth. Partnerships is a great way to do that um, so it was a really interesting opportunity for me to be the first person uh, from Shopify with a, a BD focus in mainland Europe and and it allowed me to lay a lot of the foundations uh, for the market as well as, as Shopify continues to grow here. So that was a very long winded response to your question. That's that's uh, pretty
0: interesting. That's pretty interesting. So in India, we do engineering and then diversify into whatever the hell it is, right? So whether it's (laughs) marketing or HR or whatever. So yours is quite the opposite journey in that respect. Uh, I actually feel that partnerships like marketing is a force multiplier, right? Um, In that sense, I Mm. think, uh, you know, I mean, uh, both these functions have that in common. Uh, which is that, uh, let's say, in business development or sales or whatever, you're having one-to-one conversations, uh, but both these functions sort of accelerate uh, the number of conversations that you can have, right? Uh, So in that sense, I see see a sort of uh,
1: common pattern between the two,
0: right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think people underestimate. I mean, when you're just starting out as a startup, partnerships May not be the first thing you want to think about, Mm -hmm. but the second you're trying to 10x your growth or have X, you know, reach uh, new markets or things of that nature you know, partnerships can be a really low hanging fruit for you to make those connections. And these people can be ambassadors for you and your product beyond the reach that you could have organically. So that was kind of the mentality when I joined Shopify was to enable as many partners. Uh, I was, you know, one of two people that was responsible for Europe, for the entire con- Europe, Middle East, and Africa, three continents or three, 2.5 continents. Um, so it's, you know, you can only do so much as two people, right? So, so um, having that ecosystem and community around uh, a similar goal or or you know a, a similar partnership can really benefit companies in that stage of growth. And right. I know people think of Shopify as a big company, but back then it was quite unknown in a lot of these markets. So it was kind of like we were operating as a startup again. So um, yeah. partnerships was definitely a growth lever that we really heavily relied on. And it definitely helped us succeed and get to the point that Shopify is at now.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, we heard some of that Shopify story from Vargab, uh, who, uh, you know, headed India partnerships uh, earlier on the podcast, right? Uh, certainly fascinating. And uh, something I'm curious about is also the fact that uh, you know, this this building the ecosystem, right? Uh, how do you determine who could be a good enough partner for you and how to kind of take that forward and so on?
1: Yeah, so I think it depends on what stage of growth your company is at. So I think having similar uh, end goals or a similar target customer is very important. So you know in the e-commerce sub, um segment it's it's quite easy to you know figure out you're focused on the smb segment that's very buffer's target audience is very similar to that actually we really are focused on the small uh, to medium sized businesses to on the entrepreneurship segment um, so any other companies who are kind of in a similar space to us who are trying to help enable uh, these brands to grow um, particularly if they're d2c brands so those that were natively Online, as opposed to traditional businesses going online for the first time, I think that's maybe an even easier segment to target. But I think, aside from that, having a company aligning with a company and partnering with a company that has similar values to you is also important. So, with Buffer, for example, uh, we're a freemium product, we're very uh, accessible to the masses. So, when I look for partnerships, I really try to find other companies that are very similar to ours in the sense of like really being accessible. Um, it doesn't make sense for us to partner with enterprise-level software or companies that have large sales teams or even companies that want to integrate with us that have a paywalled functionality because you know, a lot of our users are free users, so it doesn't really make sense for them to have to pay for a functionality which when they're not even paying for our own platform. So yeah. those types of things are very top of mind for me when, when uh, investigating new opportunities.
0: Right. And a lot of the customers uh, uh, off Buffer are startups and small businesses, right? And uh, what's that like? I mean, what's uh, working with small teams, helping them tangibly? Uh, what's that experience like?
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting because a lot of there's a lot of different businesses on Buffer. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that the SMB focus has been our primary driver because what we initially started as uh, a twitter a social media marketing platform to really help plan tweets back in the day mm-hmm. so from that it was mostly a really seen as a thought leadership platform at the beginning um so now transitioning to more of a business-led model is very different but i think because we um the way that Buffer works, it's it's a very we have a very empathetic, customer focused team, um, and we really care deeply about these businesses and wanting them to succeed. And we really believe in the value people over profit, and it's quite an authentic value that we hold true. So to really help these customers grow, especially. I, during COVID nineteen, a lot of uh, a lot of our users couldn't afford buffer plans anymore. So, giving them the opportunity to still continue to use uh, buffer for free during this time was important for us to really be authentic to that value. So, um, it's been great to have feedback from a lot of these small businesses and and get their experience and. Um, we do see a lot of feedback online as well. A lot of people posting on Twitter and things of that nature, even if they're complaining about some of our functionality. One thing that always comes back is um, how much people really love Buffer because it's an authentic platform versus other platforms out there. Um, It feels like there's actually people behind the screens. Um, So that has been, I think, a a great selling point for us throughout all of this as well.
0: Yeah, so especially in the world that we're living in today, I mean, it, it's it's so important to kind of put a face to the name as well, I feel. Uh, you know, when everything is a C-click and buy kind of experience, I mean, it, it really, really helps to show who you're buying from and what they stand for. Uh, mm. So, yeah, I mean, in that sense, I think uh, Buffer has a lot of love uh, uh, online, I feel. You know, um, so the other facet to your work is that you work with uh, you know diverse teams uh, different continents as you mentioned and so on uh, what's that experience like how do you strategically balance uh, priorities across geographies and you know culture so to speak
1: yeah that's a great question and I think the diversity of team members and time zones has made us stronger as a unit um, we have folks spread Around the entire world, I don't think there's a time zone where we aren't present. Um, So, in a sense, we can use that as an advantage of us um, because we have somebody who's theoretically online at any time, right? Um, So, just really leading into that and seeing it as an advantage instead of a disadvantage, I think, is really important. Um, But to be working for a remote only company, I think there are so many benefits. I mean, having the freedom and trust to work on the projects that you feel are important and valid for your line of work. Um, I think that's amplified in a remote uh, company, but I mean, not all companies adhere to that, but I think it should be, you know, really embraced in especially remote companies. Um, The reliance on asynchronous communication. So, you know, I've been, this isn't the first time that I've worked remote, but um, previously to compensate for me being in a remote time zone um, while the rest of the company was based in more or less the same time zone, uh, my meetings were just back-to-back. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have a lot of time to actually focus on getting my work done. So um, the way that Buffer does it is that the majority of our communication is done asynchronously. Mm-hmm. We don't really heavily use Slack. Slack is more of a casual tool for communication. So none of our big decision-making processes are happening on Slack. Email is primarily used for external communication. So we use a tool called Threads, which is fantastic. And that is uh, when anytime that a decision needs to be made, uh, that is kind of the main source of truth. And even some smaller things like for example, today I flagged that, you know, there's a, a little change in the Pinterest API that we need to be aware of. I put that on threads because I don't want it to get lost on Slack or in email. So that in, in syn- asynchronous communication is very, very important. Um, aside from this, Rapport can be built in numerous ways. So we also use a tool called Donut, which is an integration on Slack, and it randomly pairs us with somebody else from the company and we can get to know each other on a personal level. Um, in a non-COVID-19 world we would have been meeting up at least two times a year um, so we're trying to lean more into having you know meetings that are a little bit more lighthearted and that can really connect the team on, on a different level in absence of us not having a retreat this year. Um, And I think it's just really important to be cognizant of time zones and work schedules and things of that nature. Um, Buffer, I think, is quite unique as it over-indexes on the people side of things. So right now we are working four days a week instead of five days a week um, to help with some of the external pressures of uh, the world at the moment. Um, We have very flexible hours. Um, I know a few uh, mothers and fathers at the company who um, are are working kind of split shift type style and, and it works for them. And we are entirely remote in the sense that if I decided I wanted to leave Amsterdam and go on the road and travel the world, I could still do that with my job being secure. Um, So a lot of, I mean, many companies have been forced to be remote as uh, as of March of this year. And I think there's a lot of mistakes that a lot of companies make, you know, micromanaging. uh, I have a friend who has to clock in and out of her hours every day, Um, you know, having to have meetings with their boss multiple times a day to be aligned. So from that point of view, I think that causes even more stress to the employees during an already stressful time. So I think just really embracing the benefits of being remote, I think can add so much value to your company beyond um, having a traditional workspace.
0: Yeah, I mean, it seems like uh, you guys got a huge head start into this whole remote work thing, right? I mean, it's it. Uh, so I've been working remotely for the last five months, and uh, there is a lot of going back and forth on things, and you know, I, I do miss the energy of the office uh, office floor as such. Uh, So that sounds really interesting. And how do you get everyone to kind of uh, uh, stay on the same page? I mean, I know you mentioned a few of these things, the tools and stuff like that. But uh, uh, really, I mean, how do you center the company around one particular focus and so on?
1: Yeah, I think it still sometimes remains a challenge. But for the most part, we have uh, a monthly town hall where we discuss strategic priorities. Um, I myself as partnerships and part of our product team. So we have a weekly product sync with our, our product managers and we do, we fill out our agenda asynchronously. We take some things offline and some things we just, you know, if we want to explain a broader concept, we'll record a quick video and upload it. So we're trying to experiment with other ways of communication beyond just uh, the very, uh, analog kind of just reading uh, text, obviously, I think sometimes showing things are just a little bit more dynamic. Um, So I think just being able to be versatile in your approach, and sometimes things don't work out. And just being able to be Um, malleable in those situations and just embracing that. Sometimes you'll try things out, you'll experiment. Buffer has a great culture of experimenting. Mm -hmm. Um, We've done a lot of experiments which have failed. Um, So you can learn a lot from that as well. But the the point is that you're not afraid to try them.
0: That's awesome. So the other unique aspect about uh, Buffer is that, you know, you guys operate in the marketing automation space, which is super crowded. But then, I mean, you still manage to stand out, right? Uh, You you guys have a fantastic brand. Uh, And, you know, brand building is such an important thing for software companies, especially because, you know, irrespective of what kind of software you build, it gets commoditized over a period of time. Uh, So how do you invest in brand building and how do you make sure, uh, you know, Buffer is known for what it's known for?
1: Yeah, so... I would say that uh, the main differentiator of Buffer versus a lot of our competitors in this space is that people tend to gravitate towards Buffer's culture. And uh, we have a fantastic content marketing strategy around Buffer's culture and operating remote. And our blog has kind of served as this encyclopedia of knowledge for all of our failed mistakes and all of our triumphs as well. And I think for a lot of startups in uh, this space, a lot of e-commerce companies, et cetera, maybe the first time they are introduced to Buffer is through our, our open blog. Um, and because of that, we actually have a very strong top of funnel because so we have so many views on our blog every month. So we try to just be authentic and we try to be open and honest about some of the things that are maybe a little bit taboo to talk about. So uh, a few years ago, our CEO wrote a very candid uh, blog about how we had to reduce headcount at Buffer, um, and that's something that many startups go through, but very few talk about. So I think that authenticity is very important. Um, we have other failed experiments on there as well, um, such as we tried uh, having a flat hierarchy at Buffer that wasn't really didn't really work out for us. But we talked about it openly, and we we did say you know why it wasn't a success. Uh, we also still uh, employ transparent salaries. Um, and that is something that always gets us a lot of attention as well, because you can see how much everyone at the company makes. So I think all these different things, just, you know, we're, we're not afraid to try something different and to talk about it. And it may not be directly related to social media marketing. And I think that's okay because really we're just trying to be, you know, as authentic as we can about, the process of building a company, um, of scaling a business, of managing people, all of the the peaks and valleys that come along with it. So because of that, I think, uh, you know, we're very unlike a lot of other companies in the space because we are very much the face of the product and we are the brand. Um, so I think that's, and, and as I mentioned as well, we very much value people over profit. And I think that's so authentic in our DNA. Um, with uh, a lot of, you know, with COVID-19 and the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, for us, that was not even a a question for discussion. We wanted to help those businesses and entrepreneurs and segments that were impacted the most uh, to ensure that they still had access to our tools. So, um, and I know a lot of brands out there kind of do things like that, but I think it's sometimes for the wrong reasons or they say something once and then, Just because it's trendy uh, and then they never follow up on on the action items but for us uh, anything that we put out there has to be authentic and it has to be something that we continue to build upon
0: yeah i mean a brand is really who you are right so i mean i don't think you can fake that uh, uh, through one or two initiatives and campaigns and so on because you're right i mean a lot of the uh, a lot of the brands out there a lot of the companies out there do this uh seasonally and uh you know but but it's just so apparent right but with buffer uh whether it's remote work or i think there was even a, a fundraise story right i mean you guys you want to talk about that actually i mean uh uh the the, the i think it was you guys bought back the uh the investment or something of that sort yeah. I'm, not sure. I'm hazy about the details yeah we
1: We bought out our investors a few years ago. It was a little bit before my time, but I think that also puts us in a unique situation as well because very few startups are in that situation. And I think many would like to get to that point eventually. Um, But what was important for us was to be accountable to ourselves and only ourselves to have external investors um, driving the the ship of our product, I think was not something that we authentically believed in. Mm-hmm. So our CEO um, made that a priority to buy back uh, the investments and and really making sure that we're uh, sustainable without having to rely on external funding. And he's been very successful in doing that. Buffer is a is a profitable startup uh, that's bootstrapped which is also very rare Um, but I think it's it's a great uh, story for the startup world to see that you can there are other ways to get to that end destination
0: right yeah I mean that is definitely unusual uh, to hear and that's quite a story as well Uh, so we're operating in special circumstances right now I mean the the Mm -hmm. world is a siege with uh, COVID and you know other troubles as such uh, what are some of the opportunities and challenges that you see for um, um, for you as a person and also, you know, at Buffer?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest challenge on a personal level is, you know, working remote is, uh, I think, an amazing experience, but there are new challenges with COVID-19. So a lot of companies are working remote for the first time and they think that, during these circumstances, this is what working remote is like when that's not actually reality. Um, Many people have a a lot of external factors that come at play, you know, family members who are sick or their their children are at home because schools are closed. So there's a plethora of other distractions right now um, for many people who are working remote. So I think just to be cognizant of that and to be kind to your colleagues and to your um, direct reports and your management team and just making sure that people are okay and um, you know, have mental clarity to continue to work. I think that's really important because, you know, if people were burnt out before or, you know had other stresses in their life this is definitely a bit of a pressure cooker environment where you know many people aren't able to leave their houses and yeah. it just depends where you are in the world right so being cognizant as well that your experience may not be the same as somebody else uh, in a different part of the world like you know if we have colleagues in new zealand or or something of that nature they're pretty much business as usual but then if you look to certain parts of the united states uh it's very much still uh, an active pandemic so just to be cognizant as well, to be aware of other people's situations. But um, yeah, on a personal level, it's been a bit of an interesting year. I was supposed to get married <laughs> a few weeks ago and that That's has been put lot. on hold. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, all things considered uh, from that perspective, it's uh, I'd, I'd much rather um, wait another year than to try to push on and have a zoom wedding, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um in terms of different like opportunities that are out there beyond just on a personal level, I'm noticing a lot of businesses who are going online for the first time. Um, you know, in the Netherlands, a lot of traditional businesses that would you know restaurants, bakeries, that type of thing, uh, they're making the transition online. But I have uh, some friends who manage Italian markets, for example, um, and in Italy the the, uh, e-commerce penetration is really low. Um, So with COVID-19, it really kind of forced a lot of these very traditional businesses in the south of Europe to really make that leap and go online for the first time. So I think it's been very interesting in that respect to kind of see the evolution and, and really see e-commerce companies flourish during this uh during this time um at the first few weeks was a little bit rocky while people were adjusting but i think now e-commerce is really people who have never bought online have been buying online for the first time as well so there's a big opportunity there Um, i also think that there is a big opportunity for agencies and freelancers who work in this space as well to sort of assist with this process because um the digital online e-commerce space isn't familiar to all business owners. In fact, you know, many business owners are really good at the one thing that they build or the one thing, you know, or the store that they manage, but they don't really understand online marketing components or how to set up a, a web shop for the first time. So, or how to schedule social media, marketing posts. So from that perspective, I think there's a big opportunity for education and a lot of agencies and freelancers can assist with that. And, Aside from that, I think this is forcing a lot of businesses to future-proof themselves, um, and also reaching untapped audiences that they were not maybe reaching before. Um, for example, like I have some friends who typically would cook everything at home and not really eat out, but with COVID nineteen, they started ordering out more and started to like you know explore some of the the neighborhood uh, restaurants. And I think. Because of that, you know, you want to support your local businesses as well. And because of that, I think uh, there's a lot of untapped opportunity there too.
0: Yeah. So, so I do a bit of the latter, which is that, you know, every month I kind of order from a business I haven't heard of. Uh, So, so yeah, I mean, I I totally relate to that. I think we're doing as, as a people, I think we're doing splendidly, you know, I mean, given the, the, you know, given the circumstance. um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And what was the last business that you ordered from? Yeah. So I
0: just ordered from this place called and nothing else today. Uh, Mm -hmm. So, so, I mean, it's, it's healthy snacks and whatever. So I fast a lot and, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but when I do eat, I, I, I eat like crazy, right? So, (laughs) 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 so yeah, so I ordered from this place, which um, has all these protein bars and stuff like that, which, uh, yeah, I mean, and I'm pretty excited for it. So I'm waiting for that.
1: So, yeah, that's see, that's a great example of maybe something you weren't going to explore before but given the circumstances I think it gives gets a lot of us thinking about how we can better optimize for grocery delivery or things that'll make our you know lives at home a little bit more comfortable. I know that Nintendo Switches were sold out like for months (laughs) during (laughs) COVID-19 because everyone was like oh I gotta gotta get a Nintendo so yeah yeah, I think there are a lot of opportunities out there for sure especially for small business. Yeah absolutely.
0: Absolutely. Actually, uh, so Verge was saying that over the last twelve weeks, they've uh, seen more businesses uh, sign up than you know over the last twelve months, right? So that's a phenomenal statistic. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, and there isn't there isn't any online commerce. There is there's it's just commerce now, right? So yeah. I think it's, a, it's sort of an indelible change. And I think uh, possibly you know we'll come out of this uh, stronger, uh, better. I think you know.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh... It's forced us into an interesting situation, but I think it's going to, the benefits from this
0: mm-hmm. will
1: precede, you know, a lot of the the challenges. I think, you know, after we get over the hump and, you know, it'll definitely future-proof a lot of these businesses. So I think yeah. it's it's definitely has at least some advantages.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So before I let you go, I have to ask you about your recommendations of uh, great books or podcasts uh, that you follow?
1: Oh gosh, <laughs> that's a great one. Um, I actually, so when I when I was in between jobs, I um, I was reading a book on micro habits. I forget what it's called at the moment. Let me, but it's it's like a pretty popular book, um, and it's it's the the principle is that you know, small habits every day can, you know, add up to an overall larger change. So, you know, if you're going outside for a run, you want to become a runner, just running for five minutes a day, uh, is all, you know, kind of getting out of the mindset that it has to be these gigantic opportunities. Atomic
0: atomic habits. Yeah. Atomic
1: habits. Uh, Atomic habits. Thank you. uh, Um, yeah, I think it was one of the best reads that I had this year. And I think, uh, you know, not necessarily, uh, from like an educational perspective in the same in, a, in the same vein but uh, another book that I read this this year and I think it's important as well for us all to educate ourselves on uh topics uh, social justice topics at the moment um especially given the situation of the world um so for me uh I thought one of the most fantastic books that I read in the last couple of weeks was uh Trevor Noah's Born a Crime um and it kind of documents his you know childhood growing up in South Africa in a place that was largely fragmented and a lot of different segregation was occurring and how he sort of navigated that process. But obviously it's through a very humorous lens as well. So it's very, very digestible and very uh, easy for someone who's maybe not familiar with a lot of the uh, the, the Black Lives Matter movement, for example. So I, I really would highly recommend uh, that as a read as well. Um, and uh, from a prod- podcast perspective, uh, not to shamelessly plug Buffer, but we have a <laughs> podcast conference coming up next week oh, wow. called the Build to Last Conference. Um, so it's it's uh, an audio first conference, so it's not a conference about podcasts. I should clarify, but um, we have it's a I think it's an eight part series where we interviewed. Uh, numerous agencies and uh, small to medium businesses on how they groove their brand online. Um, So it's going to have so many interesting tidbits. So if you're interested, it's a totally free conference as well. Um, So if you're interested, please look up Built to Last by Buffer and uh, those will be available on demand after the fact as well.
0: Awesome. We'll probably link to that uh, in the description. Uh, Thanks so much for your time, Amanda. It was great talking to you. Uh, yes
1: likewise
0: yeah thanks everyone for tuning in the podcast will be available on all popular platforms Uh, until next time stay safe and take care